2: Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino-style games, so join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We we're created by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Welcome to The Approach Shot, the golf show that's more laughs than links, more stories than strokes, more guffaws than golfers. Here are the hosts of The Approach Shot, John Ashton and Neil Michaels.
3: Hey, that means it's time for us. It is exciting, isn't it? (laughs) Calm down, everybody.
4: (laughs) That really threw you off, didn't it?
3: (laughs) We are The Approach Shot. I am John Ashton. He is Neil Michaels, and he is excited.
4: I am excited
3: but not as excited as am I. I'm leaving on vacation in a couple of weeks, flying to Maine. Annual Annual uh, pilgrimage.
4: pilgrimage. That was the word that I was stumbling
3: through to try to find. They haven't really been real excited to see me ever since I decided I wasn't going to go to Harvard Law School. I was going to be a disc jockey instead. That went over real big with a New England family, let me tell you. That was more than a year or two ago. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, when I was five years old, I had a blazer that said Harvard class of 76.
4: (laughs) Wow. That had to look good on you at five.
3: (laughs) What do you think the chances are I'm actually going to get there?
4: Oh, good point. Yeah. I'd get to the airport two days before. I mean, they do say put in (laughs) a little extra time. I think what they mean is two days.
3: Last time I tried to fly there was January. So Mm. it was a little bit different flying to Maine. Who wanted to fly to Maine in January should have their head examined. But we got to the booming metropolis of Philadelphia, where we changed planes, Mm -hmm. sat in the plane for a minute. And after about 30 minutes in the plane on the tarmac, they said, "Um, on second thought, we're not going (laughs) The flight's been
4: canceled while you're on it? Yeah. said Wow. said,
3: sorry, but uh, no. So we called and they said, yeah, we can get you there Tuesday. Well, it was a surprise birthday party for my dad. So that would have been a little late.
4: Yeah. So
3: we had to fly to Boston, then take an Uber from the airport over to the North Station and take a train from Boston up to Maine. It was a bit of a hassle. And I just remember my daughter and I were doing it and, and we were very stressed. And when we walked into North Station, she looked around and she said, Daddy, no problem. They have a
5: bar here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. <laughs> and then when we were buying a ticket, they said, you know, if you upgrade $5 more to business class, the drinks are free. <laughs> so wow. Thank you, saying... Amtrak. Here we go.
4: <laughs> Five bucks. That's less than one drink. You have no idea what you just did. You just lost yourself a bunch of money, Amtrak. <laughs>
3: This is a tradition, but we're going to be talking about a bigger tradition than even this: fifty consecutive years Oof. of opening days.
4: Well, fifty consecutive
3: opening opening days. days. Yes. Yes. Okay.
4: From the best-selling now best-selling author Michael Ortman, who's an old buddy of the show, and uh, we, I just can't wait to talk with him. And, and stay tuned. You're going to, if you're a baseball fan or just a fan of the game in general, you're going to love this.
3: Great guy, great book, great conversations. Coming up next, hang with us right here at The Approach Shot.
4: Hey, this is Neil. And since we started doing The Approach Shot, I get asked a lot, what other podcasts do you recommend? I recommend my buddy Scott Edwards' show, which is called Stand-Up Comedy, Your Host and MC. Stand-Up Comedy, Your Host and MC is Scott's celebration of 40-plus years on the fringe of show business. Stories, interviews, and comedy sets from stand-up comics, as Scott likes to say, interviews of the famous and not-so-famous. Episodes include stand-up sets by hilarious comics like Dana Carvey, Jay Leno, Bob Saget, Jerry Seinfeld, Paula Poundstone, Ray Romano, and more. It's really funny stuff. Scott's interviews are with comics, writers, and friends from the world of comedy, and his material comes from his chain of comedy clubs. He's produced dozens of comedy fundraisers and even written two books on comedy. So if you need a good laugh from the famous and eh, not-so-famous, go to com and download an episode or five. That's com, or download Stand-Up Comedy, your host and MC, wherever you download podcasts. <laughs>
3: And thanks for hanging. We are back. We are the approach shot. I'm John Ashton. He's Neil Michaels. And we told you Michael Ortman was coming. Mike, I got a story I got to tell you, man. I was uh, texting with a friend of mine last night, and uh, it's a, 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 an investment advisor. She was giving me stuff I didn't want to hear. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't talk right now. I'm reading a book in preparation for an interview I have to do tomorrow. And she said, Oh, <laughs> She said, oh, what kind of book is it? And I said, well, it's a sports book about a guy attending an opening day baseball game every year for the last 50 years. And she texted back immediately, lovely, Michael Ortman. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes, you know the book? And she said, yeah, my dad made me read it before he passed away. Hopefully so, he didn't pass away from reading the book. Yeah, oh, I think those are two totally two unrelated unreliable. things. But, oh my. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's, she's... I, I think I it was because that. of the relationship, wow. the relationships that you go into great detail in your book. I think he he related to the relationship he and his daughter had. And that's why he wanted her to read the book. Oh. She was she was very taken by it. But I was just I don't want to say surprised. But, you know, she didn't strike me as a sitting down reading a baseball themed book kind of person, you know. Oh, that's so a, um,
5: it was uh, great. It made my day with Esther. I was a, oh, a story to start with. I was okay. at a book signing a couple of weeks ago at a Barnes and Noble when a young lady walked in and I did my normal "Hi, Any baseball fans in your family? And the young lady says, yes, I, I am. I'm a Red Sox fan. Yay. <laughs> now, the book is very mid-Atlantic centric, but I went to five opening days where the Red Sox were the opponent. And yeah. I told her that and she, her eyes lit up a little bit. And then I showed her in the book how there's a QR code at the end of every chapter. And it's got a companion site. And it's kind of high tech. Mm-hmm. And she says, that's dope. <laughs> and I had to pause and think for a minute. I think that was a good thing because she bought yeah. two copies. So I <laughs> there
4: you go. Well, I'm, I'm going to admit to people going into this that, that uh, Mike and I have known each other for uh, a long time mm-hmm. and used to work together at home team sports. I have mentioned this in a couple of previous podcasts. So back in the day, as they say, the bleeding edge of
5: cable TV, right?
4: At the beginning of (laughs) cable TV and sports. So (laughs) I have to tell you, one of the great things about reading the book is as we got into the time where we worked together, which was the late eighties, mid eighties, somewhere in there. And there's a lot of stories about the Orioles and Memorial stadium and Cal Ripken and things that, um, it brought me back to our friendship and knowing each other the way we did. And I have to tell you, and I, and I don't mean for this to sound like I'm your old uncle or anything like that, but I'm so thrilled about the book. I'm so proud of you. I'm so pleased for you. It's an Amazon bestseller. And um, let me just read this. Cause I always start by reading something interesting uh, in our interviews, the book was described as a new book Opening day, 50 for 50. It's part memoir, part history, and an inspiring love letter to the sport of baseball. I don't think that could be
5: written any better. Uh, uh,
4: this is all
5: <laughs> This is all so new to me. It's the first book I've ever done. So when I hear nice things. I, I, I read every chapter aloud that my wife, as I was writing it, she put up with it, but she loved it. She thought it was fine. But I said, I don't know if anyone's going to buy it or anyone's going to read it, but I'm going to have fun writing it. And that's mm-hmm. where we were three months ago, two months ago. And what's happened in the last two or three months with stuff like what you just read, Neil, was ugh, just makes me feel very good. So thank you for sharing.
4: Well, let's mm-hmm. face it. Uh, some of the people who have reviewed the book and given it high praise are guys like Tim Kirchin, Kenny yeah. Rosenthal, yeah. Cal Ripken himself, um, had some wonderful things to say about the book. In fact, I have the quote here. Cal said... Mike does a remarkable job of chronicling his own streak of 50 consecutive opening days in this terrific book. Opening day is such a special day for baseball fans around the world. It it signifies the start of spring as well as a new start and hope for every team. And I got to tell you, I mean, we've all sort of lived with the whole hope springs eternal, especially if you're an Orioles fan or a Twins fan, sometimes a Red Sox fan go into the spring, suddenly it's like, yay, my team stands a chance. And then 50 games into the season, you're wondering when football will start. Well,
5: we, we were thinking that in Washington after 50 games in 2019. That's right. yeah. When the Nationals famously were 19 and 31, and no team had ever come back from that bad of 50-game start. And, and what happened to them? And they won the World Series. So yeah. they won the World always Series. Always-
0: <laughs> so uh,
5: yeah. strange things saw, have happened. And and I couldn't let the book end. Opening day 2019 was my 50th and last of the streak. I right. couldn't let the book end there. So we added an epilogue that kind mm-hmm. of chronicled the postseason in the World Series and coming back from the depths of despair and all that. And a couple of weeks ago I had the opportunity to sit down and have cigars with Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez, the architects of that season. And because I signed. That's
4: what, that's what your life is now.
5: That's right. And I and I signed. <laughs> I signed the book to Davy. Thanks for the epilogue. <laughs> <laughs> it was just
4: a great so, so give people a, a little bit of a history on this. It it's a it's fifty for fifty. So you literally attended fifty opening days, and you started in 1970 when you were how old? Nine.
5: Nine, Almost 10. I turned 10 later. So here.
4: clearly you went through until 59, but you didn't go to 50 different cities. It was Correct. only three cities, six ballparks, five home teams,
5: right. but 50 opening days. So the first two were my beloved Washington senators in 1970 and 71. And in 72, it was a player strike that delayed the start of the season. And I, I recall dad said something like one Sunday afternoon in April, why don't we go to opening day? Because we've been the previous two years. And, I kind of, dad wasn't much of a baseball guy, but he knew I was. I probably said something like, Dad, my, my team just moved to Texas. and now the Texas Rangers. I don't have a team anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and let's go to Baltimore. Baltimore, where's that? <laughs> I've never been to Baltimore. Got out one of those paper maps, I'm sure, and unfolded it and never to be restored to its original <laughs> condition. And um, off to Baltimore we went. And it was cold and miserable, but the opening day thing continued. And I did that for a mm-hmm. few years at Memorial Stadium in the 70s. Uh, then off to college, I went figuring this is over. There was no baseball team within a hundred miles. When I befriended a guy who had the two things that were most important in life, Craig Cheval had a love for baseball, the Chicago White Sox and a car
4: <laughs> <There you go. laughs> so
5: off to Comiskey Park. We go for the next three years. And I fell in love with the White Sox, more importantly, with Harry Carey. Yeah. who was the, I mean, there was something great about a guy who hangs out of the press box with a Microphone in one hand and a beer in the other, and said he's taking me out to the ball game. <laughs> so I did that for three. And then when Harry defected to the north side and became the Cubs guy, I said, Let's go to Wrigley Field. And Craig said, Oh, I'll go to Wrigley Field. I'm a White Sox fan. And I didn't understand the, the fine art of North and South and the, the mm-hmm. great baseball Civil War of Chicago, but I found a Cubs fan and went to Wrigley for Harry's first game. And then uh, Harry carries first game at, at Wrigley Field as a Cubs announcer. Then back to Baltimore, Memorial Stadium for several more years. And then, Neil, that's where you and I got together in the business, if you will, for a bit. So it became work for a time. Uh, Then the grand opening of Oriole Park in 92 was a great milestone. Continued until 04 when I bid farewell to the Orioles and baseball came back to Washington, D.C. in 2005. Very special. And then Mm -hmm. the opening of of, uh, Nationals Park after that. So got 50 years in there.
4: And less people think that this then becomes about the Senators' and the Orioles, and the Washington Nationals, and the White Sox only. It's all of the other teams that were there had a contribution. All of the other players that were there. Some of the players that you mentioned just make my heart sing. Bob Gibson, Mickey Lolich, Boog Powell, Tony Canigliaro. I mean, some mm. of these guys are, are the people that we grew up with that weren't the super-duper stars like a Carl Yastrzemski, and a Cal Ripken, and a Frank and Brooks Robinson. And you make mention of some of these guys in the book I like the the fact that every chapter mentions all of the future Hall of Famers and Mm -hmm. the potential Hall of Famers. But I think one of the great things as a a true baseball fan is talking about these guys that weren't ultra famous, Mm -hmm. but they still made up the thread of baseball.
5: Yeah, we went the extra mile and put an index in the book because one of my early editors said, you know, this book is very dense. There's a lot of that stuff that you just described, Neil, in, in the book. There's 750 names of people and places in that index. (laughs) Uh, This wasn't just all memory. There's a lot of research went into this. And yeah, each chapter is a story that may or may not have to do with that game. Very rarely does it actually have to do with that game. But there's also a page in each chapter about the game. And even obscure players, if they can... Look, let's face it, opening day as a baseball game is just another of the 162 regular season games. But it kind of gets you a level set of where we are in baseball history who are the future hall of famers that are in the game? Who are some of the other players that are notable that contributed that day? And it, yeah. it helps bring back the memories for people. It's been fun.
3: Mike Lordman is our guest author opening day 50 for 50. It's, it's, it, it's a, uh, I don't know, an homage to baseball, to life, whatever. Uh, we've got a lot more. We'll be right back on the approach shot. Hang with us.
4: Happy Memorial Day weekend! Now that it's warmer, as the shopper and part-time cook in my family, I'm looking to spend less time grocery shopping and cooking. That's why I'm so glad I found Factor. With Factor, I don't have to meal plan or prep and I can still eat well. Factor delivers chef-crafted meals to your doorstep, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep, not to mention cleanup. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in just two minutes. These are fresh, never-frozen prepared meals that are so delicious you won't believe they're actually good for you. This week, my wife had the pork tenderloin and cheesy cabbage, and I had the loaded bacon and spinach chicken. Yes, they are as mouthwatering as they sound. Change your eating habits today. Head to go.factor75.com slash approach120 and use code APPROACH120 to get $120 off that's code approach one twenty at go dot factor seventy five dot com slash approach one twenty
3: Hey, thanks for hanging and coming back. This is the approach shot. I'm John Ashton. He's Neil Michaels. Michael Ortman, uh, opening day 50 for 50 uh, author, is here. Neil, I just got to say, man, you have an awful lot of talented friends. Yeah, uh, I'm, not uh, sure, uh, I'm not sure how you get attracted to them, but it's pretty cool. They all take pity on me.
4: that's what it is hey mike mike i don't know if you know this i tried to find some stats in within your stats and you may already know these you may not do you know how many opening day shutouts you attended no how about that one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven wow eleven out of fifty were shutouts which is interesting because you know the whole point about people who go to an opening day, it's that feeling of springtime. It's that feeling of oh my gosh, baseball is back and stuff. You attended some one nothing games, some two nothing games. I believe there was a twelve to nothing game in there. In fact, that was nineteen seventy Mickey Lolich game, right?
5: Um, yes, there was also I think eleven or twelve nothing Oriole loss on opening day nineteen eighty eight. That and hurts. Next, yeah, that hurts, and the next day. Uh, John Eisenberg and Baltimore Sun said the Orioles were awful, but they're not really that bad. And the truth <laughs> is he was wrong. They, they really were, were that they bad. They were really that bad. They and they were that opened bad. that season oh and twenty-one. So yeah, <laughs> it, it, there were a lot of shot. One thing you have to remember about opening day, it's always the best against the best in the pitching matchup. Right. right. So I got to see a lot of future Hall of Famers you mentioned earlier, Pedro Martinez and Roger Clements and even the Mickey mm-hmm. Lolich and Dick Bosman and Neil and uh, Jacob Degrom Grom and Max Scherzer, these are all the best. And the in, fact that they would fact, put up a shutout,
4: I'm not surprised yeah, yeah. In fact, the guy that really stood out to me was Ferguson Jenkins, mm-hmm. who pitched for the Red Sox one year and the Cubs another year. Did you you saw him three times? And the Texas Rangers. And the Texas Ranger. So that was I that jumped out to me because um He's one of my all-time favorite players. To see him three of the 50 times is kind of remarkable.
5: True. It was really amazing. It's
3: best against the best, you know.
4: That's right. That's right. Do you know what your personal opening day record was with the Nationals? I'm gonna guess something like four and eleven. Very close. Five and ten. All right. And I'm surprised they let you back in from <laughs>
5: <laughs> Got to remember the early years of the Washington Nationals, the former Montreal Expos, they were really bad baseball team. Yeah, that was bad. one of the
3: things I noticed, Michael, is, is that uh, a lot of the uh, games you attended, the home team lost. True. And True. That's, that's, I mean, as a long-suffering Red Sox fan from the early 60s on, uh, I'm I'm very aware of how... Depressing that is when they lose the opening day game. It's kind of
5: like, I mean, wait till next year. We start saying that like on the second day of the season in Boston. I do know the Orioles beat Roger Clements on opening day twice. Once when he was pitching for the Yankees and once, uh, of course, pitching for the Red Sox.
4: (laughs) (laughs) In fact, and this will make John smile. I didn't actually record this, but did you ever see a Yankees victory on opening day? Because
5: I think you saw multiple losses. I was 72, a Yankees victory over the Orioles. I thought it was, but maybe not. Might have been the day. only one, but
4: I did notice as I was going yes. through, a Yankees loss, a Yankees loss. So I knew that that would make John happy.
5: Oh, yeah, I, I, I was reveling in that information. I grabbed 2002, which I know is the Yankees' 100th season. Mm-hmm. They opened at Oriole Park, which is where some fans know where Babe Ruth's dad once owned a saloon in what is now center field at Camden Yards, <laughs> where better to open your hundredth season? If it's not a Yankee Stadium, then do it where Babe Ruth's dad used to. Still so what's to great
4: about what's great about the book um, for those who haven't had a chance to read it yet is that it it truly is a a love story to baseball. But what makes it a really tremendous read is all of the stories. Every single chapter is a personal story about you and your family, about other things that are going on. It, it isn't all about baseball and it's not all about the game. It's the feelings. It's the, what's going on in the world. Some of it was a little controversial, the piece about Kurt flood and how he had to struggle to make baseball wake up to the whole idea that there's something more than the structure that it had. How did you get that emotion to come out and, to be so transparent about your life, but other lives.
5: Well, the, the Kurt flood story is an interesting crossover because this was two themes that go through the first 20, 30 years and that's baseball and race relations. And Kurt flood was a victim of racism a lot in his career. He right. Um, in the fifties, sixties, when he's in St. Louis, he famously challenged the reserve clause. He wasn't treated real well in court as he tried to fight that did not get the support of his fellow players, et cetera. So, um, interestingly, not a single player, current player, supported him at the time in court. Not a single active player went to his funeral in 1999. I mean, just didn't get the support he should have gotten. But Jackie Robinson did. And I grab a couple of chapters later in the book where I'm able to tell the story of Jackie Robinson day and the evolution of that. Um, And that was really important. But the, the number of opening days that were impacted by strikes or lockouts was significant. So each of those got to be a story. And then when Mm -hmm. I stopped and realized that Kurt Flood was the opening day center fielder for the 1971 Washington Senators, there was the opportunity to tell the Kurt Flood story. Yeah. And then two years later, Dave McNally is the opening day pitcher for the Orioles. I get to tell the Dave McNally story, who was a key figure in the early days of free agency. And then finally, Reggie Jackson. Yes, people, who did Reggie Jackson play for? They say the A's, the Yankees. Some will remember the Angels. He played for the Orioles in played 1976 for the Orioles. In one year. He didn't show up for opening day. Exactly. He was a holdout. But his role in mobilizing players, which Kurt Flood wasn't able to do, Reggie did that and able to tell that story. So that kind of fills up the 70s and 80s.
4: I like you know, how you did wrap in that Garrett Cole, though, did mention him when it was time when he got right. his huge contract for 320-something million dollars that finally somebody mentioned Kurt Flood in a positive way. He, he did that. And it
5: was so appreciated by a lot of people, not only for Kurt Flood, because Marvin Miller had gone into the hall of fame a month earlier before Garrett's press conference. And a lot of people feel that for Marvin to be there without Kurt Flood is an injustice. And I think the, one of the whatever iteration of veterans committees has got to address that.
3: Mm. I know one of the things that um, baseball fans are going to love about the book, Michael is, is, just remembering the names and, and the like, I mean, you know, you, you, there's one chapter where Boog Powell is, is prominently uh, featured and it's like, Oh, I remember, I remember hating that man, you know, <laughs> sitting, sitting in the stands at Fenway park going boo without the G at the end. Just you know.
5: <laughs> Boog Powell is a great story. still, has a barbecue stand at Camden Yards. I mean, this is a man who, after his baseball career was over, went on and did Miller beer commercials that we all remember for a mm-hmm. generation. Mm-hmm. And, and then they opened Boog's Barbecue 30 years ago at, at Oriole Park, and it's still going strong. Yeah, so I remember
3: I'm one really one game guy. I was watching. It was Dick Raddatz came on in relief for the Red Sox against the Orioles and was playing in and Boog. Powell was at bat, and it was like the monster against the monster. You know, <laughs> it was it – was, because Raditz was just big guy who threw faster than anybody back in the 60s when nobody was throwing fast. It was great to watch that. But, again, just the names, you know, Karl Yaskrimski keeps popping up and things like that. And it's just like, and, and you know, you mentioned Kurt Flood, and names that you don't think about a whole lot anymore. They're not the superstars that you remember forever, but you hear names and you go,
5: oh, I remember that, dude. Yeah, I remember that now. One, it's, just, one, it's pretty nope. cool. One friend who read an early chapter, he said, you know, you really need to put the box scores of all these games in here so people can connect to the names that were in that mm-hmm. game. And I said, that's adding 50 pages of stuff and cost to the book that I'm not sure everyone will appreciate. But by creating a companion website to go with the book, openingday5050.com, mm-hmm. anyone that wants to can click right in and get the whole box score, full play-by-play, baseballreference.com was a treasure trove of help in, in the research for the book, but it's also brings to life all those additional details that just, mm-hmm. we couldn't So John,
4: on. don't, don't call me after this because you know where <laughs> I'll be for the next two hours going through. <laughs> first, very slick way of working that in too, Michael. I, I like that. I'm <laughs> impressed. Mean, like, uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> he's a really good PR yeah. agent for himself. <laughs> <laughs> hey Mike, so, 19 of the 50 games you attended had Cal Ripken either at shortstop or third base for the Orioles is he the guy that had the biggest impact on your life as a baseball player?
5: Um, He certainly had the biggest. Yes. I mean, he's right there with Ryan Zimmerman and Frank Howard as guys that just stand out over that 50 year period of time. Frank Howard was my first hero. And Frank Howard was, I was, I did an interview on MLB network a few weeks ago and, how, uh, Harold Reynolds said they used to, we used to call him Hondo the mini condo. He was so big.
4: This guy. I remember was... Hondo. I don't remember the condo part. That's
5: funny. <laughs> he was an assistant coach with the Mariners when when Harold first broke into the big leagues. But I mean, that was a guy that I just clung to over the whole streak as the role model of my childhood. There's a statue of him outside Nationals Park today. Two weeks ago, I got to go to his house and meet him and give him the mm-hmm. book. I mean, this thing went full circle. So Frank Howard, Cal Ripken had a biggest impact on the game over that time, the the old game of baseball. As Bud Selig said, uh, when baseball needed a hero after the strike of 94-95, Cal Ripken was there for us, and he was, and he did so much for the game, but just showing up for work every day. Um, I could have put Cal Ripken in any one of those 19 chapters. I put him in 1993 because that was the first year where on opening day, his dad was not in the dugout. Mm. He had been demoted Mm -hmm. to the minor leagues, decided not to take it, and was home with Vi watching the game on TV. That was hard. And Billy Ripken, who had been his partner in the infield in Baltimore for the previous several seasons, had been let go by the Orioles. That's right. Had re-signed with the Texas Rangers, and as the baseball gods would have it, Who do the Orioles play on opening day, 1993? The Texas Rangers. There you go. (laughs) And what's the only day of the year where every player on both teams gets introduced? Opening Opening day. day. So when Billy Ripken gets introduced to the Texas Rangers, biggest ovation, bigger ovation (laughs) than Cal. It was great. (laughs) So, uh,
4: yeah.
3: We've been asking a lot of questions, Michael. Um, And and your your buddy, Neil, has been – furiously coming up with six (laughs) special ones we call it a six-pack and we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about your dad and his caddying career when we come right back we are the approach shop
0: don't you go away texting enrolls you into recurring automated text messages message and data rates may apply men want to feel younger stronger leaner you don't have to slow down after 40 Frank Thomas found the secret to staying in shape with the energy and drive of his 20s. Man, you look like you could still hit it a mile. I feel great, too. What gives? After 40, men slow down. It's harder to stay in shape. Why? Our free testosterone levels drop. It happened to me. I got to try Nugenix Total Tea. Text GRIT to 321321 for your complimentary bottle of Nugenix Total Tea. That's G-R-I-T to 321321.
3: And we are back. The Approach Shot. I'm John Ashton. He is Neil Michaels. Uh, Michael Ortman is our guest, the author of Opening Day, 50 for 50. One quick question before we turn it over to Neil. When when did going to Opening Day uh, stop being something cool for you and become a tradition? How far into
5: it? Good question. Probably in the early 80s when it managed to make it through college. Okay. And make it through. That was crazy. And then when I got married and started having kids, I... <laughs> In that chapter 1985, I talked about the fact that my wife was in surgery on Sunday, mm-hmm. and opening day was on Monday. I wasn't going to opening day. What are you talking about? But <laughs> well, my mother-in-law showed up at the hospital and said, you need to go to work. <laughs> Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you insist. By then, I'm realizing the baseball gods are behind this. I just got to keep going and going and yeah. going, yeah. and we did. Oh, cool. All right.
4: And by the way, one of one of the things that Mike and I share is that we were both lucky enough to be at Cal Ripkin's twenty one thirty one game. And I will tell this very quick story because I know we have a six pack to get to. But we were uh, my my wife and her friend and I were at Camden Yards. We're riding up the elevator. Who gets in the elevator right in front of us? But Tom Selleck. And to this day, if you called my ex wife and asked her greatest moment of her life was when Tom Selleck stood an inch and a half in front of her. And she looks over at her best friend and she makes the cupping motion to her friend and rolls her eyes. And I just stood there like, if he turned around right now, I'd have to be the one to answer to him. (laughs) Probably the greatest moment of her life. (laughs) This, on the other hand, will not be the greatest moment of your life, Mr. Ortman, because Uh we got a six pack for you. The way it works with the six pack is we fire off six questions. We expect you to answer the very first thing that comes to mind. If you don't, you hear this. I only do that because I want to be Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey. (laughs) And we need to get these answers and no dilly dallying. You ready? Yes, sir. sir. All right. Question one. Opening day 50 for 50 is your first book. If you had all the resources and access necessary and could do so, who would be the subject of your next book, which we are calling the life and times of
5: the fans. My next book, I would love for fans to give me their stories so I could do opening day, the next 50, or your 50. But we did put this thing on the site. As we've talked about for the last half hour, there, this book does stir up memories. And I'm hoping that readers will come forth and say, well, I remember going to opening day and, and, and share that little story. I'll then talk to them and dig into the research and and try to bring that to life for them and for others. in, you know, hopefully fun and entertaining way. That's that what like I'd love not to do not next. Only a possibility, but it's in the works. Uh, it's in my head. I, <laughs> the website does create a place for people to enter that. We haven't gotten there yet, but there you go. Give it time. Question two,
4: there are some amazing people like Tim Kirchin and Ken Rosenthal that we mentioned that have praised 50 for 50 who reached out to you that really blew your mind.
5: Oh, this just this is great. Uh, got an email via the website day before yesterday from a guy who read Ken Rosenthal's tweet and started getting hit by by his friends saying, "Hey, we didn't know you wrote a book." His name is Michael Ortman,
4: <laughs>
5: and 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 he is a baseball junkie, a San Diego Padres fan, nice. Who who has an interest in baseball that is so similar to mine, and we've gone back and forth via email the last couple of days. I'm going to be in LA in a couple of weeks, and I. I promise to drive down to San Diego and meet my doppelganger.
4: <laughs>
5: <laughs> that's when that's here, been amazing.
4: Come, come by and say hi. All
5: right.
4: <laughs> Question three. All right. Reservations have been made at Sabatino's, one of Baltimore's most amazing Italian restaurants for Ortman party of four. You get to choose anyone living or dead in baseball history to join you to eat. Now I will admit the dead people don't eat as much. Who's sitting at your
5: table? Jackie Robinson, Rachel Robinson, and, and Kurt Flood. Wow. I I, 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 want to learn more about what those people went through in the nineteen And by those people, I mean, those three in particular, um, okay. to, to f- help shape the game and the, and the evolution of, uh, of so much that we've come to reckon with as a society and as a country. Um, you that, know, that I gotta tell you what,
4: what, What's really interesting to me, and, and I've I've had this discussion with other people, a lot of people talk about Jackie Robinson and rightfully so. A lot of people talk about Kurt Flood and rightfully so. Very few people talk about the race issues that Hank Aaron had to go through. True. And especially when he got close to breaking the record, he was bombarded by every idiot racial thing that could possibly come up. He was getting death threats that if you ever break Babe Ruth's record you know, this and that will happen to you. I, I, so I I want to just put that out there because I don't hear no. that often enough, I
5: think. No, it's a very good point. I just didn't spend a whole lot of time during the book process with Hank, but everything you just said is 100% correct. And I, uh, I I mentioned Rachel too, because she kept Jackie's vision alive for the last 25 years. In fact, interestingly, this year the All-Star game is in Los Angeles where the Dodgers play, of course. It will be played on Rachel's 100th birthday. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. During this, the 75th anniversary of his historic debut in 1947. So it's just a whole lot of things coming together that make that.
4: Interesting. Baseball universe presents things like that.
5: I bought a uh, Jackie Robinson jersey that benefit the foundation at an auction a couple of years ago, a game-worn jersey from the Nationals. And I, I wear it a lot because it's the one jersey that survives trades and free agent signings and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's It's a great yeah. one.
4: Question four, and this is getting into your dad, which we'll talk about in a minute. Your dad... Was a caddy for Gene Sarazen, who was known as the Squire and one of the greats of all time, 49 career wins. So you got your first golf lesson from Chi Chi Rodriguez, which is crazy. (laughs) Is there a golf book
5: in the making? Oh, I'm going to talk to Tom Coyle about that when I see. Tom Coyle and I both went to Notre Dame. Tom's a great golf writer and author. I'm going to meet him in a couple of weeks. Actually, he and I are both doing book signings at Notre Dame at reunion weekend on on June 3rd. And uh, I've never met Tom, but I'm in the middle of reading his book called A Course Called Ireland. And it's fantastic. Um, There are certainly enough good golf stories in my repertoire that it could be entertaining to some, but there's a lot of great golf material out there. um,
4: Oh, I I think if you included your dad's piece of this (laughs) and then your piece of this, It would be very
5: interesting. It won't be 50 chapters, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Hopefully not. All right. Question five. And John, you knew this was coming. Okay. This is the most important question I'll ask. Since you spent a number of opening days in Baltimore and a number of opening days in Chicago, crabs in Baltimore or pizza in Chicago? Pizza in Chicago.
5: You traitor. Oh, (laughs) I, I have an aversion to seafood in general. If it was ever in the water... It doesn't go in my mouth. So it's that simple.
3: Excuse I, me, I, but pizza I, in Chicago is nothing but bread with tomato
5: sauce on top of it. I doubt. Yeah. <laughs> pizza in Chicago. That's it. <laughs> if,
4: if it's been in the water, it's not going in my mouth. Should that's be it. a bumper
5: sticker. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Just not in my All right, Mr. Right. Ortman. Question six. Since we are the approach shot, Mike Ortman, in your approach to life, what one rule do you live by?
5: Leave it better than you found it. And I'll, hmm. and, I'll, and I'll tell you where that came from. It came from dad teaching me golf at a young age. and I was a young teenager and dad had this obsession when he would go up, his obsession with the etiquette of the game. Dad wore knickers because Gene Sarazen wore knickers all the way until he stopped playing 50 years if, later. if I
4: could, I'd wear knickers.
5: Dad would always go up on the green and show you how to repair a divot, but he would always repair a second and a third and a fourth. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Dad, you didn't make those divots. You made this one. Man. Why are you doing the other ones? He said, because you got to leave it better than you've found it. Amen. And if you take that rule and apply it to everything else in life, we're not all successful at it. But if we try, mm-hmm. every conversation you have, every relationship you have, every company you work for, every picnic ground you visit, whatever, if you leave it better than you found it, the world's going to be a better place. And I think I've mm-hmm. tried to do that uh, throughout my life, and I hope others do too.
4: Fantastic. Potentially one of the best answers we've ever had. <laughs> Mike Ortman, that hot seat didn't seem all that hot to you, but uh, you handled it well and you were off the hot seat. Well done. Sir.
3: <laughs> Thank you. I had a quick baseball story. Um, I, I, use, I was a uh, music director at a radio station in Charleston, South Carolina, and one of the music uh, promotion guys uh, called me and I told him I was going on vacation. And every year I've always gone back to New England for vacation. My family still lives there. And he said, Are you gonna go to a Sox game? And I said, if they're playing. And he looked and called me and he said, Yeah, they're playing the Orioles. And I said, Great. He said, Listen, Jim Palmer's a friend of mine. I can get you tickets. And I went, Yeah, okay, that's cool. So he called and he said, Yeah, they'll be at the will Call gate, just you know, go up there and ask for so my sister and her husband at the time, he was a huge Red Sox fan. And I said, I've got his tickets to Red Sox game. So as we're driving down. He asked, "You know, how much do I owe you for the tickets?" I said, "No, they're free. I get, I'm getting them from Jim Palmer." And he said, "You don't have to do that to impress me, John. You know, just tell me you bought the tickets. Tell me how much they are, and I'll give you the money." <laughs> and I said, "Dan, just shut up, okay?" And he he was denying it all the way till the time we walked up to the will call window. And I said, "Yeah, Jim Palmer left some tickets for John Ashton." He said, "Yes, sir, Mister Ashton. Here you go." Well, there you go. <laughs> and he goes,
4: "Damn." See that's how you know that John is a much nicer person than I am because I would have said a hundred bucks a piece. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's my sister. Come on, <laughs> right, two hundred bucks a piece. <laughs> All right, but let's let's jump into the Caddy stories now, Michael, because that is just so cool. I mean, there there just seems to be an affinity with your family and and sports
5: icons. Well, so my dad grew up during the depression in Washington, D.C. Um, and he loved golf and he was on the golf team, got four-year letterman in high school, playing golf at St. John's College High School. And as fam- as legend had it, he caddied for Gene Sarazen during the 1935, remember that number, because it's wrong, uh, <laughs> National Capital Open. <laughs> and I have this photograph of Gene Sarazen, autographed to Frank Ortman, best wishes, Gene Sarazen. I, and he did. So I Dad passed away many years ago, but I was walking the Walk of Champions at the World Golf Hall of Fame, and I was drawn to Gene Saracen's signature block there, and I realized there was plenty of real estate nearby for a brick, so I thought I could induct my father into the (laughs) World (laughs) Golf Hall of Fame Walk of Champions. So I had a brick made that says, uh, Squire's Caddy, Frank Ortman, 1935 National Capital and then I start researching this and find out there was no 1935 National Capital Sports writers back in the day and my dad's memory a little different. And maybe I didn't. Maybe he was confusing Gene's great shot heard around the world in the 1935 Masters with reality. It made much more sense as I dug into it. Dad caddied for Gene Sarazen in 1931 National Capital ah. So I had the brick redone. <laughs> <laughs> and I went back to make sure that the right one was installed back on uh, March 11th, 2020. And I think a lot of us remember where we were in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. And then I get my buddy, Steve, and I did that little ritual and paid homage to my dad um, and drove down to West Palm to go to spring training, the Yankees against the Nationals. And as we're in the seats on the 12th of March, there's this announcement that we're going to shut down Major League Baseball because Mm -hmm. of this Pandemic thing. And it was the last spring training game. Well, we had gone on a mission to put an asterisk next to the Houston Astros logo, World 2017 World Series champion. We mm-hmm. had a security guard guarding it. <laughs> this was on Thursday. On Saturday, it was a ghost town. Yeah. So on our way to the airport, Steve and I swing by and <laughs> did a pro thing. And, yeah, that was a big tweet. But, but, but the week started at the World Golf Hall of Fame, and that is my biggest memory of that and the, the Astros at the end of the week. There you oh, go, Astros, Astros
4: fans. You know who did it.
5: That's what right. Do, there was, a, there was a, a Twitter handle called um, Shame Tour 2020, and we posted <laughs> the picture out there. It got 58,000 views on Twitter. because It was the best. <laughs> We are very open about it. All right, Michael,
3: look duck your head a minute so everybody can see behind you. Opening day, 50 for 50.
5: Ta-da! It's the book.
3: <laughs> Great book. Michael Ordman, we appreciate you spending time with us here on The Approach Shop. Been a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me.
2: Have current events affected the ability for you to pay your bills? Has your credit card debt overwhelmed you? Has your income decreased because you're working less or have you lost your job? Credit Guard of America may be able to help you find a solution to this problem. We offer a free no obligation consultation to learn how you can cut your payments by up to half and potentially lower your interest down to zero. Credit Guard of America is an A rated nonprofit company that will work on your behalf credit card of america is licensed in all 50 states and has counseled over 1 million consumers struggling with debt just like you let us help you analyze and prioritize your debt negotiate with your creditors to reduce interest and payments set up one affordable monthly payment and provide ongoing education and support call now for a free no obligation consultation and learn how you can become debt free call 800-613-7650 that's 800-613-7650 800-613-7650 800-613-7650. If
1: you're like me, you've been hearing a lot about burials and cremation lately. It's kind of a sad thought, but thousands of these poor souls have to be stored in these big refrigerator trucks waiting sometimes weeks before they can be put to rest. And then and then the average funeral cost is over 10 grand. I don't have that kind of money just lying around, do you? Everyone has the right to die with dignity. And an affordable burial policy can be had for as little as a dollar a day. Call Final Expense Network for a free quote. They shop for affordable rates from brand name companies. Folks you've heard of. One call and you get coverage to finish well. You can even name your church as a beneficiary. Come on, you have loved ones. Don't leave them at the last hour of their need. Call now. 800-589-0470. That's the Final Expense Network at 800-589-0470 finish well. Make a quick call to 800-589-0470. 800-589-0470.
0: i told you great guy great
4: stories
3: it's one of those things where you sit back and say why didn't i come up with that idea
4: yeah and you know it's funny that he and i have spoken since about what the next book really could be Mm -hmm. and it's definitely going to be fan based he's going to try to get stories from other people about their experiences so hopefully that'll be around for next year's opening day Well, I just wanted to let people know Mm -hmm. that um, this is the last Approach Shot episode as we are going to be retiring the show. It's uh, it's bittersweet for for both John and I. We have loved what we've been doing. We've been so blessed to talk to so many great people. And I had a list that I had written down of the people we wanted to thank, but it would be so long, it would take the entire show. So just say to, to the people who have listened, those of you who have been with us, the amazing guests we've had, some of the comedians that we had on early on, you've all made this such an incredible experience for us. You never say never, you know, we might be back at some point, but as for now, we're going to go ahead and put this on the shelf, John. Got too much golf to play, and I have (laughs) a lot of family that's around suddenly, including three Mm -hmm. dogs and a grandbaby that uh, require my attention.
3: Keeping the grandbaby out of the mouths of the three dogs is is a full time gig, man.
4: (laughs) No idea. (laughs) 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 Yesterday, I woke up and I heard, (laughs) and it was our adopted dog, the one that came with the family, and he was crying because the baby was crying.
3: Uh Oh, see, sympathetic. Or, or is he trying to just get your attention?
4: No, sympathetic and okay. sweet as he could possibly be, and I just I couldn't
3: stand how great it was. It's like, so I, in our I, house, the dog is like, "Hey, this baby's crying. Someone come in here and shut him up."
4: <laughs> <laughs> I so. thought that was going to be me when we moved <laughs> in, but actually, I've turned into the rah, 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 rah guy. So you know. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, grandpa's grandpa's get like that. They really do. But anyhow, but yeah, I just want to throw my two cents in. I want to thank everybody Um, and and a little shameless self-promotion. There's still a radio show called those weekend golf guys and a podcast called those weekend golf guys, the second best golf show in the world that you can listen to. Uh, We would appreciate that Uh, part of the same family. Uh, I'm one of the one of the hosts of that show also and uh, and Neil is associated with it too. So just keep yeah. in mind however that uh, this is the last time today we will tell you to remember that golf is a game invented by the same people who invented bagpipes and called it music.
4: And remember as your trials and tribulations mount that life is not a problem. It's a
3: gift. Go open it.
1: You've been listening to The Approach Shot with the Weekend Golf
3: Guys.
5: If you like this week's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And find us on the web at approachshot.net.
2: You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel.